Romans 2.21 says this, You then who will teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you not steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you not commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. We're starting a series today called Burned by the Church because I'm, I'm fairly certain there are very few of us that have not had some experience, some bruise by the church. We're going to walk through this conversation for the next three weeks. And the reason we're, we're diving into this is, be, is, is just because the fact is both what we've heard publicly, seen publicly, experienced publicly, or what we've heard and seen privately, whether it be um, some person you heard on TV promise something that did not come true for you, or whether it be something that happened to you personally through the church, someone judged you, someone made careless remarks on your behalf and, and hurt you. Uh, maybe, maybe the church, maybe this church has even made you feel unvaluable, or someone forgot to show up when you were in need and you felt like the church didn't care. This is a very sensitive subject for some of you this morning, and I just want to say as we kick things off that... Because I are one of one of these church leaders, and I'm a part of a church, I want to say if you've ever been injured, you've ever been hurt, I want to say I'm sorry. When I was, uh, when I was 12 years old, my first experience, I hadn't always been a pastor, by the way, if you didn't know that. When I was 12 years old, I remember bringing some buddies to church, and um, unbeknownst to me, I had no idea that when we sat down upstairs in the balcony in the very back row on the corner side that one of the church leaders, one of the deacons would come by and tell me, whisper in my ear, if your buddies are going to stay, they're going to have to take their hats off. I didn't understand that at all. Uh, I went to my dad after church and I said, dad, I mean, we walked in. I mean, I worked really hard to try to befriend these buddies of mine and I invited them to church and this guy came up and he was just ugly to us. In fact, he, he forced them to take their hats off and said, you, they're going to have to leave if they don't. And my dad said, I don't know that's in the Bible, son. We'll talk about it later. And um, 12 years old, my first little small experience. I remember graduating college with a biblical studies degree and a concentration in youth ministry and taking my first job at the home church I grew up in. All my life spent basically in one church. That church had a Christian private school. I spent all my life growing up in that Christian private school. I knew everybody was there. I knew everyone that was there. Coming back to be a youth pastor in that church was one of the most difficult experiences of my life. Four months into my job, my number one, past, my number one mentor, our senior pastor, as we would call it, had a major, major moral failure. 
and I'm being sensitive to the age groups that are in here this morning, but just a, just a, just a real, real um, struggle, problem in his life that surfaced. And uh, being on the inside, we began to hear about it first and found out, all right, this is about to be announced. And my number one mentor had fallen. I remember him calling me into his office um, just a few days before that it would be announced in our church. He pulled a picture off, off, his, off his office wall. It was a picture of, 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 a, of Jesus across the desk counseling a pastor. And he flipped it around. He said very little to me. He wrote on the back of this, he said, to my son in the faith, it's always too soon to give in. Always too soon to quit. And then he, then he wrote a, a scripture verse that said, that said, faithful is he who called you. He was speaking about God. Faithful is he who called you who will also do it. Essentially saying, don't quit. Don't put your eyes on me. I've blown it. You need to lean on him. And I remember in the weeks to follow, our church just got really, really ugly. So much so that I just would come home in the evenings and I'd tell my new wife who I promised her dad I would take care of her. He didn't like the fact that I was taking her from little Lynchburg, Virginia to Miami, Florida. And then the fact that, I mean, all hell had broken loose in our church. I'd come home in the evenings and I'd say, babe, I don't know what's going on. I don't know who to trust. This group is trying to dominate this group. This guy is saying this happened. This guy is saying nothing happened. And then lo and behold, my, my dad was the lead uh, volunteer in the church, like head of the deacon committee, head of the finance committee. And I remember my dad just being so consumed with this mess, so consumed with it. Um, I'd call him and I'd say, Dad, what do I do? I don't know what's going on here. I mean, I hate showing up to work. I don't even want to be a part of this. Son, stick it out. You show character. You just keep on serving God. You know, we're, we're going to work this all out. Remember the day that my dad drove up. I was in the back of the car. He pulled up to my, my mentor, my, my pastor. And my dad rolled down the window and he shook his fist at him. He said, you lied to me. You lied to me. And my dad got out of the car. I didn't tell this in the last service. And he reached through the window and shook him. I'm like, oh my gosh. Dad's about to pounce on him. They were close, close friends. That was my first experience with just having my heart ripped out of my chest because there was a man I loved. Um, a couple, three weeks ago, my dad, um, fast forward 20 years, 20 years of me being one of those preachers, not like those things we've read and talked about, but I'm not claiming I'm any better than them. But fast forward 20 years, I got a call from my dad three weeks ago. His heart was broke. He was devastated once again. The church they had been attending for many years prior to leaving our home church, church that runs over 30,000 people every Sunday, he said, I don't know if you've heard this yet, but uh, today at 4 o'clock, after our 
church services. This was Sunday morning. He called me early. He said, today at 4 o'clock, they're going to announce that our pastor has had a moral failure. And this is a guy that uh, is an incredible, wonderful, was always considered a very godly man, has just tanked. And um, they've got like 20-some satellite campuses. My dad wept on the phone. And his words to me were, son, don't screw it up. Like, dad. So, I'm, I mean, he said like over and over, like he was plea- he pleaded, he said, I plead with you. Don't blow it. I don't know if he was saying that his heart couldn't handle it or if he was just saying as a pastor of people that you lead, don't do this. Don't make the mistake. So I'm like, Dad, I'm good. I mean, nothing going on. Dad, it, it all is well. I mean, you know me. You know, heart's not always perfect, but Dad, there's nothing going on. And, and he said, well, that's not what I mean, son. He says, just, just, just be careful. Stay open. Stay transparent. Love your wife. So we thought about this series, and I thought about how I'd open this up to you. I didn't intend on getting all weepy with you. But this is a huge subject for so many people. It's a huge subject. Because all of us, all of us, all of us, whether just by a glimpse of the TV or someone has carelessly abused leadership, power, influence, As the church, whether you're a guest here today, and by the way, if you're a guest here today, <laughs> um, glad you're here. <laughs> um, you'll get to see uh, sort of some of the behind-the-scenes stuff that happens in Christian circles when Christians um, do stupid stuff. And I do want to say, if you're one of those like me that have had your, ever had your heart hurt or been mad at somebody, or had a lot of anger, a lot of bitterness, because something that happened to you inside of what God loves, his church, I am deeply sorry. What I want to show you today is some truths, some truths from God's word on what do we do? What do we do about it? It seems to be across the globe, not just in church, but I mean, but who trusts leadership today? Across the globe, there is an epidemic that's happening. And I want to just, I want to process with you. I want to process with you, what do we do about it? How do we perceive it? How are we supposed to think about it? So today's going to be a starting point. It's, it's, it's not an exhaustive, you're going to walk out today, we're going to go, okay, we're all healed. We're all like, okay, everything's fine. Everything's hunky-dory. But I think this is something that we've, we've got to talk about. Because we are sort of like armor bearers and image bearers of what people across the globe will ever think of our God and our Savior. And so I want to look at this morning, what do we do with this? What do we do with the hypocrisy? What do we do with trusting people? What do we do with church leaders that have made mistakes and blown it? The first thing I want to show you this morning, and we'll have this up on the screens if you want to jot some of these things down in some of the scripture for you to utilize, memorize, factualize, can't think of any more eyes, so let's go. All right, so the first thing, when we're thinking about this, and, and, and if I've stirred up, you know, your 
feelings about, your experiences with, we've got to first, number one, number one above everything else that I'll tell you today, we need to know what the truth is. What is the truth? Who is the standard of truth? Where do we get our standard of truth? The Bible says, Scripture says, John 8, 32, it says, then you will know the truth. Speaking of God's Word, the truth will set you free. When we can begin to absorb God's Word, learn God's Word, God will open our eyes to what His Word says is the truth. Our standard of truth comes from God's Word. What does it say about this stuff? Well, number one, I understand that we live in a fallen world. Scripture tells us from beginning to the end of what was written in pages of Scripture, we are in a broken, fallen world. From Adam and Eve till this very day, we live in a broken world. And when it comes to scandals, when it comes to problems and struggles in the church, it didn't just happen the last 20 years or 100 years or 1,000 years. This was written about in scandal-wise in early days of the New Testament. When the church began, when God began to give over some leadership with broken men and women to take the charge, to be image bearers, to pass on God, to tell the story about who he is, the church began to become fractured and broken. Imperfect people began to take on the, the mantle and say, hey, we're trying to you know, share the good news. We're trying to share what God's done in our life. And along the way, we see over and over and over again throughout our entire course of life that men and women, anyone who breathes or has blood in their body is someone who's broken. We're all sinful. The Bible, the Bible says, for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. That's all of us, every one of us. Only one person in this world, lifetime, has ever not sinned, and that was Jesus, the Son of God, God himself. So we need to know the truth. We live in a fallen world. Here's another truth. We, we understand that pastors, church leaders, are to be held to a higher standard. 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 3 says this. Here's a trustworthy saying. Here's the truth. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Good job if God leads you to be a leader in a church or a pastor. Good job, wonderful. Whoever aspires, that's a noble task. However, the overseer is to be above reproach. That means you're not blameless and sinless. However, you are aspiring to look a whole like Jesus, like the one who was sinless. And here's, if we get confused, here's what an overseer should look like. He ought to be faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. There, these are the standards in God's Word. Can I just say personally, um, pursuing these things and being authentic about them is very difficult to find the balance with me trying to follow those, live by those, and also trying to not have you put me on a pedestal. 
Because honestly, the more I tell you, don't put me on a pedestal, the more you love me for saying that. And can I tell you, that scares me all the more. Because I can tell you, I am the chief of sinners, no different than what Paul said about himself. I can tell you that there is a lot of dirt in this heart, a lot of pride, a lot of fear, a lot of insecurity, a lot of like bad thoughts. And the more I even tell you about that, you're like, oh, our pastor's so authentic. There is so much struggle and anxiety with trying to figure out this balance because I don't want to disappoint you. I don't want to disappoint you. When I, when I think through what my dad said to me three weeks ago, and I think about the men that I have known both personally in my life, I mean like close friends, family members, connected people that I know that I could reach out and call on the phone, when I think about what I've known about those men and how they have gone through many, many years of their life and at a moment's notice, given it up, blown it, made the big mistake, and then so many others have been hurt because of it, I, I told my dad, I called my wife, I said, baby, if men who I know are better and godlier than I am, have fallen, have screwed it up, then I might as well just quit right now. That's what I've said on the phone. That I told my dad. Because there's going to come a day that you and I, we will disappoint each other. I am going to disappoint you. I disappoint my wife all the time. She's never disappointed me. No, she is pretty close to perfect. But can I tell you again, the truth of the matter is, we are all broken. We are all sinful. And we will all disappoint each other. We should never put each other in a place where God is. However, however, there's a word we throw around here a lot that is a very good word. It's an appropriate word of how we should treat each other. It's called grace. Grace is what God gives us that we don't, do not deserve. God gives forgiveness, gives grace to anyone and everyone because he loves us. We don't deserve it, but he gives it anyway. However, however, grace does not give us the license the leverage to continue to live in sin. Grace does not give me, a church leader, the license to say, well, you know what? I've blown it, but God loves me. I'll get forgiveness, and I'll just keep on leading and keep on sinning until one day it all, the train falls off the tracks. God does not give any Christian the license to leverage his goodness and grace to say, God, thanks for that grace. I'll just keep blowing it. Can you, can we even picture what it does to God when, when we abuse the very most incredible gift he gives us, his forgiveness? I know when I've been mad at my wife and raised my voice, how terrible I feel. And what it does to me to want to be different and better for her. When God gave us grace, he wanted us to recognize the immensity of that love 
And because of the love, not duty, that we would say, God, thank you, and let me be different because of it. God does not give grace to us for us to leverage it, manipulate it, so we can just go do wrong. Romans 6.1 says this, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? No. You want to know who hurts the church? Christians do. You, know, you want to know who hurts the church? Pastors do. However, here's number two. We need to know who the real enemy is. We aren't the enemy. I'm not your enemy. The enemy is found in what Ephesians 2, 6 says, 6, 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our wrestle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of heavenly realms. Our wrestle, honestly, is not with each other. Our enemy would love to disguise that. Our enemy would love for us to hurt each other, say mean things to each other. Our, our enemy would love to blow up every church. The enemy seeks to exist to kill and destroy everything that God is trying to do inside of us and on this planet. He exists to rob us of the relationship with God and relationships with each other. That's what he wants to do. Our enemy is not each other. Our enemy is Satan. We should know who our enemy is. So here's, the, here's, the, here's the, the inroad to what do we do with our hurt? What do we do with forgiveness? What do we do with trust? Are they the same? Do they look the same? Do we treat them the same? Let me give you a couple things today as we finish today's message before we lead into next week's that I think will be a starting point for us to heal our hearts, for us to have the right perspective, for us to, to go on this journey and for us to lock arms authentically with each other and win ultimately. Let me show you this. First thing I see in Scripture when we think about how do we start getting past our pain is number one, we need to forgive fast. We need to forgive fast. Let me show you Colossians 3.13 says, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has any grievance against someone, forgive them as the Lord forgave you. Do you know that it's supernatural to be able to forgive somebody? You know how I know that? Because it's never been natural for me to forgive anybody when they've hurt me. It's not natural. Is it natural for you to forgive someone when they have hurt you, made you angry, just like been like disloyal, broken your heart, made you just feel like you're unvaluable? Is it easy to forgive? No. It's supernatural to forgive. What I mean by that is this. For me to forgive, for you to forgive, it has to come from God. To the degree that I understand how God has forgiven me, to that degree can I forgive you. Can you forgive me? We can we forgive each other. We have to forgive fast. If we don't, if we don't forgive fast, all unforgiveness becomes a giant monster on your back. All unforgiveness leads to bitterness. Can, I, can you just agree with me that, that when you meet and run into an angry person who's cantankerous, 
who's like controlling and always spiteful and always like calling out people's issues and their sins and their problems and they're real judgmental. Can I tell you that's a bitter person? You agree with me? I mean, that's someone who's carrying a monster of unforgiveness with someone else or unforgiveness of themselves and they're portraying that on other people. That's, that's what hurts the cause of Christ. When we aren't really, really walking in step with him, we are saying we are, but we aren't, but we're portraying that we are. The Bible calls those kinds of people in biblical days Pharisees. People who walked around looking a whole lot better on the outside than they really were on the inside. That's what the church, we would say, that's hypocrites. Can I tell you that we're all hypocrites? There's not a person in this room who is not a hypocrite. Well, I'm not saying I'm better than I am. Yes, you are. Every one of us on Facebook, we don't tell how bad we are. We put our best photo up. We put the best stories up on Instagram. We're like, oh, yeah, woo, woo, woo. It's not, that's not life. We are all hypocrites. You look into someone's eyes, whether you're in Africa or in Dublin, Georgia, and you will lock eyes with someone who's a hypocrite. We are all broken. We are all jaded, and every one of us are sinful. The Bible says we should forgive each other as Christ is and has forgiven us. And I can tell you it's very easy to self-justify when you're looking at what's worse in somebody else. I look at these preachers. I don't make fun of them, but I do say, I haven't done that. I'm not as bad as they are, and it makes me feel better. But I'm not. I am no better. That's, that's rottenness inside of me. That's pride in me. When I say, that guy's bad. I'm better. Woo! Not been there, done that. That's pride. What does Scripture say? Pride comes before a fall. You see, when we walk with God, we know the truth. We let God's truth. If we can read this book and absorb this book, we walk step in step with Christ. He's what changes us. So forgive fast, but can I tell you, Trust in time. Trust in time. Trust in time. Don't place an absolute trust in people. That sounds so mean, doesn't it? But it's biblical. There's a reason why we should not place all our trust in people. Why? Well, we're going to disappoint each other. And God didn't want us to have an idol. God didn't want you to love your wife more than you love him. God doesn't want, want you to love your friend more than him. If we get that backwards, the relationships we have, they'll fall apart. But if we get this right with God, then this is always, always better. Trust in time. Jeremiah 17.5 says this. The Lord says, cursed, this is really strong language, cursed is the man who trusts in man. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. See, God doesn't want to make someone else your complete strength. Yeah, God said, love me and love others. We're supposed to be the body. We're supposed to be friends. We're supposed to nurture each other, encourage each other. We can lean on each other. God wanted us to do that. But God says, don't make that your source of strength. God says, make me it. 
Let me be your source of strength. When it comes to trusting people, trust in me. Don't place your trust in each other. Now, let me just play this out, how this looks for our church. Because, I mean, we have messy people here. And God applauds it when messy people come to church. God loves it because that's where we should be. Everybody who's messy, come on in. That's who Jesus went after. So when it comes to like, okay, a guy comes in and he was a bus driver for the city and this has not happened, I'm just making this up, but he's the bus driver of a city. All of a sudden, he's been having a little bit too much one day and that carries over into the night. The next morning he wakes up, he takes kids to school, he's intoxicated, he has an accident, he gets a ticket, he's broken, he's bruised. His kids are mad at their dad because he had an accident. Their friends know about it. Everybody's looking at him. Weeks go by. Months go by. He's down on his luck. Someone invites him to our church. He shows up. Again, this has not happened. He shows up. He's welcomed in the parking lot. He's welcomed the front doors. Like, wow, maybe no one knows I'm a bad person. He shows up. He finds out we're all bad people. He's like, all right, well, maybe I can come back. He starts coming. He gives his life on Easter. This has not happened, but just maybe. He gives his life on Easter. Like, you all stand on me, Jesus leader. He starts to grow. His wife sees real life change in her husband. He's talking different. He's sounding different. All of a sudden, I mean, he's really growing. He's like reading his Bible. He's like starting to quote scripture. He's starting to carry a bigger Bible now. It's like, that's what Christians do, right? Get bigger Bibles. We walk around, we can whack people with them. No. He grows. He spiritually, he changes. Then one day he comes to one of our staff pastors and wants to know if he can run the bus ministry. And we say, no. <laughs> you don't love me. You haven't forgiven me. Yeah, we forgive you. You just can't drive the bus for our students. You got to build trust over time. There's nothing wrong. We love that guy. We like that guy. We want that guy. We pray for that guy. He can be a part of anything and everything. He just can't drive a bus yet. If a child molester comes to our church and, and that person shows up here, we ought to applaud. We ought to celebrate that that person could be holding the door, but we're not going to let them serve in our kids' areas. They have to have a background check. We got to counsel with them. We got we to run them through the ringer. They're not going to get over there. Ever, Probably. That's just trust. It doesn't mean we don't like. It doesn't mean Christians ought to be mean or insensitive. It doesn't mean we're making fun of those guys who said or did some kind of weird, spooky thing you thought was weird. We're not making fun of them. We love them. That's what Scripture tells us to do. We love and forgive like He loved and forgave us. But it doesn't mean we place complete trust in them because the only worthy of our complete trust is Him question would be, should you trust this church? I would say slowly. I would honestly say slowly. We're a young church. We're a young church. If you're checking tires, you will find something that we will disappoint you on. I've had people leave the church because I missed seeing them in the hospital. I've had people leave the church because I didn't drive to Tifton, Georgia to see their son when, there was, when he was in rehab. I failed people. I will disappoint you. I guarantee it. People in this church 
will let you down. But can I tell you this? If the church goes defunct and we just quit on working through these things, then God will not be glorified and the enemy wins. What we should be doing is we should be understanding that number three, if we're going to grow and flourish, we've got to grow roots to be able to do that. Scripture says this in Psalms 92, 12. It says, the righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. I don't get all that. Just track with me, all right? So we flourish. How do we flourish? We flourish when we are planted in the house of the Lord. I do understand that. You and I are going to be able to grow spiritually if we will work through our messiness, if we can be authentic about our messiness, if we can plug in and be a part of what Jesus said, upon this rock I'll build my church, not this one, but all of them, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I want on that team. I want on the winning team. The church is the winning team. We are the posse of Jesus Christ. And our job is to love each other, nurture each other, forgive each other, give each other grace, not a license to continue to kind of just blow it, but to love each other through like Jesus loved us and become the church. So the way we grow, it says we grow by being planted in the house of the Lord. And when we do that, we shall flourish in the courts of our God. You and I need to grow roots in God's church. That's not the pastor saying some like hidden message like give more or do something extra special that you get a brownie point or a check off your name. This is what God says if you want to grow, be a part of a community and come out of the bleachers and play ball. Be a part of it. That's how you're going to grow. So the way we say it kind of cool nifty around here is you want to grow? Connect. Get connected. You're going to leave here today and go to lunch and you will forget what I've said. You're not really going to grow just by hearing it. You're going to grow by connecting with other people in a small group or having a relationship with somebody where you can process this stuff, where you can let your mess hang out a little bit. You can say, hey, let me tell you where I blew it last week. All right? I love you through that. Let's lock arms. Let's work through that. Let's Let's walk away from that stuff. Let's stop. Let's come on. I'll help you. I'll give you a lollipop every time you want to, all right? Put it in your mouth and it'll take your place. I mean, we'll work through it, whatever. I'm your friend no matter what. We need to, as a church, be the church. We connect. We give. We invite. We serve. We are to be owners, owners of the church. I are not the owner of the church. We are the church. And if you're ever going to grow, it can't be just a slip in, slip out Sunday thing. You want to grow. Connect with somebody. Go to Waffle House. Connect. Talk. Hey, what's God doing in your life? Invite someone to church. Man, some of you guys invited your friends to Easter and like God like blew their minds. People will be in heaven because of some of you invited if you're going to grow, if I'm going to grow, we need to grow roots in the church. Lastly, I want to say this. We're going to work through this tension. We're going to work through kind of the journey, the adventure, the messiness of being broken people. And if we're going to come out 
winning on the other end. When I say winning, we're all going to continue to make mistakes and sin. That will never stop until we get to heaven. However, what Scripture says we should do is we should pray for each other. It tells us in Ephesians 6.18, be alert and always keep praying. Can I ask you to do this? Would you pray for your church? Not just our church. Pray for God's church. Pray that, pray that people outside the church would see God in the church more than they see the dysfunction of the church. Pray for your pastors of your church. Pray for me. Pray for my family. Pray for our other pastors and their families. Pray for your staff. Pray for your church leaders. And pray for each other. Pray for each other. When some dude blows it, don't run away from him. Run to him. I could not stand it when my Christian school growing up would kick a kid out of school when he made a mistake, when he screwed up. I'm like, how are we going to connect with him now? No, bring him in closer. Invite him to your house. Have him for dinner. Spend some time with some messy people. That's how we grow. That's how we change. We don't change when we look the other way and we ignore. We have the chance to change each other through following Christ and loving each other, working through our indifferences, working through our problems, and modeling to the rest of the world what Jesus is really like. They will never love God's church because of us. But they will love God's church because of what he's doing in us. Because who he is and what he did. You remember what we celebrated last week? A dead man that came back from life. And the hope of the world is Jesus Christ through his church. Pray with me.